Hi guys, welcome back to Speaker Anarchy. I have such a phenomenal guest today. I am so excited because I I know that, you know, I'm going to learn a lot and I know you guys are going to learn a lot and um, he is truly a master of his craft. Um, so without further ado, I want to introduce you guys to Dr. Sherrod Paul. Welcome to the show, Dr. Sherrod. I'm so excited you're here. Yeah, I'm excited. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's such an honor to host you, sir. I'm I'm really, really excited to talk to you because, um, you know, just for everyone listening, the brand that um, Dr. Sherrod has created is, um, you know, it's no, known as No Talks by Dr. Sherrod. And it's just a beautiful brand. It's really, really innovative. So I want to dive into that. But first, I want to hear from you, Dr. Sherrod, about your journey and just everything that led up to you, you know, innovating and creating this, if you could get us started. Yeah, so I've been in um, skin practice for a long time. So it's now 25, 26 years. And I think uh, my main realization from dealing with various skin conditions is you can't really have bad health and good skin. So really, that's really the philosophy um, behind my work is that being as um, non-invasive, non-toxic as healthy as possible, including when you're creating um, skincare. And I guess the second part of my um, research from a medical thing, which was groundbreaking, I suppose there are two different ones. One, from a surgical point of view, is really looking at how collagen and elastin um, interplay when we operate on patients. And the other one is really um, the skin of color and melanization of skin. So Dana TEDx, fundamentally on the myth of race and how we're all the same and how all skin colors evolve. So these are some of my real interests in medicine, especially skin. Yeah. Right. No, I, I, you know, I think that's very interesting that you started off with that, with the, especially with the skin of color, because that's an area that I've always been very, um, intrigued about you know I think about a year or so ago this conversation really started up and I you know I want to come back to that but I, I really want to know about all of the because you've done such great work you know and you have so many accolades and awards um you know you are a skin cancer expert so I I want you to talk about that a little bit in terms of um how how has that evolved you know through your career like how did you get involved with skin cancer um you know work and I guess research how did that all come about? Yeah, I think my original training actually um, residency was to in um, plastic surgery. Um, but really, um, so I was born in England. Um, my parents moved to India and I now live in New Zealand. So when I came down under in New Zealand and Australia, we have the highest rate of skin cancer in the world, largely because fair-skinned um, population from the British Isles, the majority of the population here. And we are closer to the South Pole, which has the highest um, UV index, um, ultraviolet index. So, so therefore, we actually have a very high incidence of skin cancer. So what I really found is, um, you know, the dermatology, people who did pure dermatology residencies, they were good in diagnosis, but not so good in the cutting and the plastic surgical side, they were good at cutting, not so good at diagnosing. So in the end, I also trained in a um, bit of both. So in the end, I ended up a skin cancer specialist and we have a, a separate like skin cancer college here. And 
I'm a professor at the universities here and so on and so forth. So, so really my work overlaps both, but, um, and I guess it's largely evolved because of the clinical need here, just because we, I have the largest series of skin cancer patients anywhere in the world, I suppose. So I guess, so that gives me a lot of avenues for research. Wow. That- Amazing. You know, I I find that to be so intriguing because there have been so many times on this podcast where I've had this uh, conversation with strict clinicians, right? And I I always bring up the idea of, you know, well, you can't be just on one side of the fence. You know, there has to be this balance between the research and the clinical side, and you have to have that balance. So when I talk to, you know, someone as esteemed as you, you know, it, it really kind of validates that idea that I've always had where, you know, you can't do medicine without kind of getting your feet into both sides of the equation, you know? So I, I find that to be very intriguing. I think more than anything, it helps, um, keep your um, clinical game up as well. Because if you're researching, then you're also keeping up with the trends, but you're also leading the way and you're innovating. So you're actually um, changing your practice. So some of the stuff I'm doing now wasn't stuff I even knew before. And even, as you mentioned, creation of new skin products and things like that, they came out of the research lab lot of the stuff which I probably didn't know like 15 years ago so so yeah so it just naturally evolves yeah yeah no I I can definitely see that I mean you know I I actually want to really dive into the brand because you've created something so just I mean for lack of a better term very cool <laughs> you know I, when I look at it as a consumer this is really cool stuff you know and as being a science nerd I'm really nerding out over it basically for everyone listening um Dr. Shrod's line you know it's skin by Dr. Shrod and he's created a product called No Tox so Dr. Shrod I want you to go into No Tox and talk about that journey because I know that it's been over 10 years in the development stage, right? And so I, I would love for you to share that with us. Yes, yeah, sure. so it really began with my research into skin lines. So a large part of my research is into wrinkling and how skin ages and skin lines that form. And I guess the health aspects of it. So, so another way of looking, like I said, you can't have bad health and good skin. And what I found was a lot of the um, things which happen at a cellular level when it comes to injury, aging, um, inflammation, and you know stress, like anxiety, things like that, also impact your skin because it's the same molecular pathways. Right. So what's interesting is, in other words, if you've got, uh, if you have cancer, or if you've got a chronic injury which hasn't been treated, or if you've got you're under chronic emotional stress, your skin automatically ages, right? So in in studying these things, we looked at, so what are um, elements which can actually help reverse some of these signs? And because, you know, fundamentally, everybody wants to look younger and have good skin. I mean, fundamentally, when people come to your practice, everybody wants to have a better skin, right? Yeah. Um, so, so I guess in researching that, we were looking at various different things. So, so there's a combination of ingredients. So for example, if you look at what ended up being the Nortox sort of formulation, it's a concoction of stuff, but some of the stuff you'd recognize instantly, um, like for example, hyaluronic acid, everybody knows because it's a natural um, moisturizer. 
in the body, both in joints and, you know, um, connective tissue and skin. And then right. you would have niacinamide, which we know is good for skin. We also know it reduces even precancerous lesions. So obviously it means it reduces photoaging, the damage from, and, and then we know the amino acids. So if you look at collagen, and if you just break it down, what is collagen? It's really um, just a mixture of various amino acids, which are sort of wound around in a spiral. And so you generally have, you know, glycine, proline, hydroxyproline. And then if you look at elastin, it's got, um, you know, glycine and desmazine, isodesmazine, proline. So fundamentally, some of the stuff. So therefore, if you look at the composite Nortox, you, you've got um, proline, you got lysine because that actually helps wind these strands together. You've got trace element copper because we know that, you know, copper helps produce more collagen. So, so it's a, um, you know, as an aside in foods, you'd find trace element copper like in shellfish and things like cashews and things like that. So, so I guess with various things, you're experimenting with different strengths of these various things. And then we found certain um, antioxidant um, superfoods. So we've got um, Plukinitia volubis, which is really saturated, you know, it's often used as a superfood. So for some reason, adding that potentiated it. So, so it's a concoction of various stuff and the final formulation. And of course, it's got um, vitamin C, which is, you know, really good antioxidant. But there were bits of tricks in the formulation. So for example, vitamin C, as you know, is ascorbic acid and yeah. it's acidic and if you have copper and the same thing, it gets chelated. So therefore, we had to make it, you know, a little more alkaline form, sodium um, a, in a slightly different forms, so that it wouldn't chelate out the copper and all that kind of stuff. So th those are all just a little bit of fun in the lab. But yeah. I guess eventually, when we ran a trial, we could actually see that measurably, as people used it, like within three weeks, you could actually see a reduction in wrinkle depth not just see it but we could actually measure it and which progressively um keeps improving but but i guess like i said fundamentally it's got no um toxins it's topical so it doesn't have any needles and i guess in skin as you know i was just looking you up and i and you know you've done lots of great stuff yourself and you know you've spent a lot of time in you know um, medicine and business and also you know researching these kind of things and so you know you know more skincare is really sold on emotion and not science and we were trying to add more science to the equation yeah no I, I absolutely love the science and I love that you dove right in with the amino acids and stuff so everyone listening Dr. Shard mentioned a few of the very fundamental amino acids that are you know used in a lot of protein structures in our body you know such as you mentioned uh, lysine you know it's found a lot you know proline these are all you know biochemistry related processes and I think that you know diving into this kind of science is really the missing link you know if you ask me not only as a scientist but as a consumer so I, I, you know, I really like the fact that you're going straight to the point. And I want to actually highlight how the clinical trial went for you, because in this industry, what I've noticed is that when people say there's a clinical trial being conducted, it's never specified whether it's an in vitro trial or an in vivo trial. And that kind of information, I think, is very important to understand. So I would love for you to tell us about um, your 
clinical trial and how it was conducted on real people. <laughs> and, yeah, and really- I guess that, that, that's a, that you actually raised an excellent point because that could be really our big um, point of difference because we could really see um, results in the lab. So, so for example, if you simply put, um, you know, um, lysine and proline things in a lab and you put, you know, cultured or, or you just put cultured cells or, or you have just dealing with collagen and elastin in a lab, you can actually see improvement. But, you know, one of the things I've often said in medicine is our bodies are biological human beings. Each one of us has different metabolism, different skin types, um, different diets, um, you know, different emotional states. All of these make a big difference to what happens at a cellular level. And indeed, uh, that's just merely reflected in skin. So um, one of the things we always say is what works in a Petri dish often doesn't work in real people, right? So what we found is it was very easy to create those changes. And, you know, there are plenty of needle-free serums and things you'll see around. And literally all of them have identical trials on Petri dishes because that's easy to create. I mean, we've created it many times in the lab. But to translate it into human beings, that's what took this much time. Eventually, we got around to running the trial a couple of years ago. Uh, unfortunately, COVID hit, so it was actually planned as a much larger trial. And some based in New Zealand, and of course, we went into a big lockdown. So of course, with restrictions, it cut the trial short and the numbers shorter. But what we were really interested in is one of the things, as you know, in any trial is you want the control to be sound. So, so the problem is in these kind of trials, um, in skin, for example, you can't really do a control trial unless you're treating condition between two people because two people may age differently. So one of the ways we thought is we did a within patient control. In other words, we targeted areas. So we told people, okay, what are the areas of concern for you? Somebody said, crow's feet and around the eyes, they would use it around the eyes and then they wouldn't use it around their um, lip lines, but we were measuring both. So we were, we were measuring the changes between the two. And some people would use it or two out of three areas. But what was interesting is, I mean, the, the single thing which stood out for me was that statistically every time where, where people used the serum, it actually re- reduced wrinkle depth. But actually, where they weren't using the serum, it actually didn't have the same effect. In fact, wrinkles were getting worse because we we're in harsh conditions in the southern hemisphere, and a lot of some people were outdoorsy. And, and yeah. so, really, it was quite fascinating. So that that really gave us one validation. The other thing, of course, was the fact that we could actually measure the wrinkle um, depth reducing. And in fact, it's also feedback from people. Of course, you know, people kept coming back and saying their friends were saying hey you know you've had some needles put in or some work done because you're looking younger and it was quite interesting I always joke about this because when New Zealand went into a second lockdown I think um, we sell um, it out of my practice here and online and what happened was I think the, the prime minister announced that we would go on lockdown at midnight and at about 11.50 I had like the biggest number of orders coming in and I'm like how are we going to ever ship these because we can't but I was just thinking if people are going to lock down and they were thinking of buying the product uh, that must be good (laughs) 
or they're not wrinkling while in lockdown, <laughs> Dr. Sharad. That's I think, you know, it's partly also, I think now, I think it's partly because I think when we're locked down, everything becomes Zoom and conference calls and everything else, right? I suppose people yes. want to look better on camera, maybe. Absolutely. No, I think that's a really great point. And, you know, just going back to the point you made about the Petri dish thing, you know, um, I can definitely, definitely um, understand what you're saying here, because for everyone listening, by the way, you know, um, Dr. Shad mentioned that, you know, you can grow cells in a Petri dish, right? And also one component that I never hear uh, brands talk about, which is something you're really addressing here, is that when you put something in a Petri dish, when you grow cells in a Petri, as the cell culturing aspect of it, you're putting medium in there that is ideal for optimal growth of those cells, which is not the case of the body. Like in the body, you're going to have this internal milieu, which is going to have cytokines and inflammatory molecules um, circulating, which you're not going to see in the medium, right? In the Petri dish. So these are kind of things that I have always wondered, you know, it's like, why are they, why are they not addressed? Like these little things, because as a scientist, you know, you know, we, when you design a study, you have to keep all of these things in mind. So there's a lot of brands out there that are like, yeah, we ran clinical trials, you know, all this stuff. But it's like, yeah, you ran clinical trials, but the cells had the optimal environment to grow. So, you know, it was it's a totally different kind of scenario. So I really like that you brought that up, you know, and mentioned that. In fact, I actually think you're doing a better job of explaining the science than I am. That was very, very good what you just said. But but I think, you know, the, the key thing I would say is, that's the same reason why people respond to different medications differently, exactly the same, right? Because when it's originally started till it goes into further trials at the earlier stage, everything looks promising, right? At a cellular level. So you would often hear things, this new drug has come out for whatever it is, be it dementia, whatever, and they'll say it shows great promise in the lab. And of course, then it doesn't show it on people. It's the same kind of stuff till you really test on real people and many people, you know, of different, um, types and different ages, yeah. and different skin, um, you know, really um, now. I love that. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And I think, you know, for me, I, I really want to dive into this idea of how the, the product is really mimicking uh, the effects of Botox. I want you to speak to us about that because, you know, what is it that Botox does so that our audience understands versus what's happening here with Notox? Okay, I, I think um, firstly, um, Notox actually, the name came out of my research paper because as you know, when you write a research paper, uh, you sometimes shorten the large term and Notox was actually stands for non-toxin-based wrinkle reducing serum. And of course, when you're publishing in a paper, it gets shortened to Notox. And then we thought look, it looked like a fun name. So it stuck. But the reality, the fundamental difference is, of course, see, Botox is a paralytic toxin, as you know, it's the um, botulinum toxin. Um, so Botox fundamentally just paralyzes your muscles. So obviously, if you paralyze a muscle, then the skin doesn't move above it. So um, therefore, the lines don't show, right? So that's why Botox, particularly originally in medicine, um, we used to use it to treat ticks and spasms and things like that. And it's still used for those purposes. And then it caught on um, as a cosmetic thing. But the issue with Botox, of course, is it's instant. So, of course, nothing can work that quickly. And so if you're using it in areas, I mean, like speaking from a surgical point of view, if you use it in areas where muscles are 
immediately um, you know under the skin so for example like your forehead where the you know muscles run down vertically from your scalp to your eyebrows that allows you to elevate your eyebrows raise them so therefore the muscle the lines run across <clears throat> so what happens is if you injected botox of course the lines vanish immediately because the muscle is paralyzed and your expression less so of course a product can't work as quickly but what will happen is over time it reduces the wrinkle depth so you still have wrinkles but they won't be as noticeable so it won't be a complete paralysis which you get with botox so yeah. i guess the other thing which i would say then if you compare it with fillers fillers use hyaluronic acid predominantly and a few other agents and are also injected and the idea is then it plumps up the skin from below and therefore uh, and the hyaluronic acid and therefore it reduces um, the appearance of wrinkles. The, so I guess uh, we probably um, compare uh, more to fillers than um, Botox, even though we have effects comparable to both. But in fillers, again, it looks a bit uneven always. You can always tell when people have had a filler, right? And, and also with time, it wears out and you need to do it. So I guess it's the same. As long as you're using our product progressively, your skin keeps improving the wrinkle depth. So what we found is in a trial at three weeks and then at six weeks and it continued 12 weeks, your wrinkle depth keeps reducing. So more and more, it gets um, lesser and lesser. And I guess if you stopped using it over several weeks again uh, or a few months, you would revert back slowly. And I guess a similar effect with any of these things. But the only big point of difference is there are no needles, uh, no toxins. And literally every ingredient you can see in there is probably healthy for you anyway. Yeah, no, I I really think that's so intriguing because, you know, when you bring up the idea of Botox, like you said, we're talking on a muscle level, right? And so, uh, and then when you're thinking about something topical, we're talking about um, the skin, and the different layers and the so the idea of the molecular like molecular level is very very um very different right because you're talking about neuromuscular junctions when you talk about a toxin being injected into your muscles but then here we have something that you're applying topically so we're not going down to the muscle level i would love for you to clarify that because when it comes to wrinkles i think there's a lot of fog around what causes wrinkles you know and i and this is something i've always wondered because yeah okay you can go and opt for a needle right and you can go and go to the muscle level go deep but then what is that doing for the actual wrinkle? Because the wrinkle is not in the muscle. The wrinkle is on the skin, right? So yeah. where, how is that, you know, I, I'm just trying to find this, like, I guess, comparison and maybe some clarification there between these two. Yeah. So actually you've come to my um, real um, baby and advance in medicine is really in skin lines. So my research into skin lines, uh, uh, there is a book, a surgical book I've written, which has been consider the first new way of looking at skin lines since like 1861 so this is really my baby and so so fundamentally skin is actually from a physics point of view it's an elastic solid so it's all it actually behaves like a solid and it's elastic and it's draped over our bodies so first thing to understand is skin is a barrier to the environment so whatever's going on inside metabolically affects skin and it also um, helps exchange um, um you know between the environment and us 
So the second thing, first thing to understand is the skin, unlike what we may think, doesn't actually um, give us shape, right? So, so therefore, it's the fascia and the other things below it which gives a body shape. So for example, if you peeled off all your skin, you're not going to fall off like a big blob on the floor. Yeah. So, so what happens at the skin level is it really reflects what's going on both on the external environment on the inside. So wrinkling is really um, because of damage to the skin and the damage, the most common um, uh, cause of wrinkling is, of course, photo damage, which is, you know, um, uh, from sunlight. And then, of course, we get damage from pollution. We get damaged from things we don't realize, like even um, altitude. So, so, so the various things, in fact, I, w- I was actually asked to do a documentary, which we were filming halfway through and then. COVID hit and we're going to resume it later this year. We were talking about some of these issues. And so what actually happens with skin is, so the wrinkling is actually therefore a warning sign for you that something else is not um, right. So it could be spending too much time in the sun. I guess if you ask me, then it's the S's like, you know, smokers will have um, smoking, sunlight, lack of sleep, like the three S's, right? So if you don't sleep enough, if you smoke, if you drink too much if you spend too much time in the sun all these will um you know make your wrinkles worse but also internally um your metabolism also affects it so for example sugar um causes glycation and so you know if you have a very high sugar diet the damage would happen so all these things at a metabolic level affect wrinkles and what i found interesting uh, i suppose this is a little bit technical maybe for this podcast but seeing that you're interested in science is when we analyze wrinkles the um, alignment of collagen was different at the side of her wrinkles and then to the base of the wrinkles. Right. So, um, and so on that's, and, and, and also uh, it's just because the wrinkles end up being like a V structure. And so you actually have, so at, at a simplistic level, I suppose what's happening to a metabolism affects wrinkling. So you're absolutely right. So if you injected something underneath, um, then you're paralyzing the muscles so the skin doesn't show its wrinkles, but actually they're still there, but it's just not moving. Effectively, you paralyzed it. So in some ways, you're not going to get these warning signs that maybe you should address something else as well. And because all your care fundamentally needs to be um, holistic. So I, and one of the other things I do in research is we um, look at um, our genes and one of my books is on health and the genetics of health. And one of the things, again, it comes out as we actually have specific genes which are related to skin function, elasticity. So we can actually test somebody's genes and then say, look, for you, these kind of foods are better or you're more prone to getting um, this kind of problem so, or, or a vitamin C like, so therefore you need more of this kind of product or that's kind of a product, things like that. So, so that's where this is going. But to going back to your first question, absolutely. So the formulation is very key because it's very difficult to formulate hyaluronic acid in a format where it gets really well absorbed deep. And that's one of the reasons where fillers came in because you can inject them straight deep. So that's where the delay was. You know, even when we hit upon the correct combination at a, in a lab level where we could see changes in a Petri dish, it took years to perfect the formulation till we could get enough skin absorption and penetration where we could um, notice difference on actual um, people. That's really, really, really interesting. I, I just, I love that you address it. Thank you for addressing that because that is something 
I really wanted to clarify for everyone, you know, just listening is this idea of, you know, it's like thinking about what, you know, when I think of Botox, I think of like, you know, you're straightening out some bed sheets, right? But you're not, it's it's not going to fix the problem of like, they're still going to get wrinkled. <laughs> they're still there. So this is a very bad analogy, I know. But like, you know, that's that's how I imagine it. And I think um, when people discuss that, you know, I have wrinkles, now I need to get Botox. That's something I never understood was that, you know, well, why are you treating something on this like almost higher I guess, uh, level where, you know, it's almost like a macro level compared to, for example, you, what you just told us, which is the collagen, um, you know, just the pattern of collagen as, you know, what's seen in, in the wrinkle itself. So it's really, really interesting to me um, the way you explain that. Now, one thing I, I really want to dive into is that you've created this brand that's amazing, but you've also covered so many things that the beauty industry loves to talk about, like, you know, vegan products, it's natural, it's toxin-free, cruelty free i mean how did all of that come together um how what was the journey like when you were just trying to create this in that way in that format i think um to be honest i was just trying to create so i always joke saying the in all the research that i do really the only as an animal lover the only animal testing is on me so i always like try to try out all the stuff um i'm developing and one of the things when we set out to do this, we didn't specifically set out saying this has to be vegan, but like I said, the fundamental underpinning philosophy is that you want good health and good skin. So therefore we do know that if you have less animal products on your skin, if you have less of these things, it's better. So, so let me give you another example. So yeah. speaking of the beauty industry, another fad of course is you know collagen, if you ingested it, but, oh right so so let me just explain this because this i was actually interviewed by the times of london about collagen supplements and one of the interesting things which we find in the lab is if you ate collagen it just gets digested like meat right but what actually happens is like we said earlier you have glycine proline hydroxyproline but what's interesting is the body actually has no idea that you are taking it with the intention of trying to fix your skin right so so if any of these gets absorbed these amino acids will be directed by the body where you need the repair and that's typically maybe your joints or something else so if there's any benefit it could be in your joints or somewhere else but it's not going to trickle up to your skin because the cells just like genes don't actually care about you they're just doing their job yeah. so one of the things i like saying is genes are your blueprint but they're not your destiny right Right. So if you look at um, things like elastin, they're actually single gene expressed um, things like they're all expressed by single genes. And, and one of the things is, so for example, if you ate bad foods, your genes would start expressing bad proteins, which end up being bad for you. So your genes don't think like, don't think, look, I've got to look after Ekta because I'm in her body. So I'm not going to harm her. No, they don't care as stuff. So they're going to, you know, mess you up if you eat stuff which expresses the bad proteins. So the same sort of thing with collagen is when you ingest it, body just directs it where you need products. It doesn't actually care. The envelope outside is your skin. It doesn't actually think like that. So there's a lot of myths in the beauty industry. So that's one of the reasons why, you know, creating this took time because you have to try and see what's actually going to work at a level, what's going to penetrate deep enough what's going to not be harmful for the person? Because if you actually then ended up using something which was potentially 
more toxic. We do know eventually when it gets penetrated through, it's going to cause harmful effects. It's going to come back and bite you at your skin level anyway. Yeah. So I think it was really, like I said, the fundamental philosophy often felt is that you can't have a really, really bad lifestyle and end up with good skin, right? So with it comes creating a product which mimics these good things in your lifestyle. So obviously you have, like I told earlier, niacinamide, which we know reduces effects of sun damage, vitamin C, we know helps wound healing. So so the various things in it which help different parts of um, our health in general and also skin health right no that it makes a lot of sense you know and i'm so glad that you said what you said about ingesting collagen because i literally said this like i i forget which episode it was but i i was just i think it was a another physician i was interviewing and we were talking about this and i was like i don't know why people don't understand that you know it's like you know those vitamin b shots that everyone loves to take i'm like you're just peeing that out you know yes yes, exactly i used to joke about it creates expensive urine one of the things with collagen supplements are other risk in that is of course most of the supplements are made out of ground hooves of cattle and things like that so you actually the other concern i have is you know long-term slow viruses and those kind of diseases you'd get because of the fact that they don't like they grind up hooves of cattle when they make up all these collagen powders right yeah yeah I completely agree with you. And I, I think that, you know, it's very interesting that we are coming to this juncture in this industry where we're trying to, you know, get the consumers on board with this idea that, you know, your body, like you said, is going to do what it needs to do. So, you know, yeah, like you said, if I have wrinkles, my body, it's like the fight or flight response, right, in a way, because it's like your body is going to take care of what's most important. You know, if you need vitamins or you need collagen somewhere else, like you have arthritis, you have something going on, it's going to go there first. It's not going to go to your skin. Like you said, you know, it's, it's all about like, you know, I, I like to tell people like it's a machine, you know, your body's a machine. So if you have a car engine and that engine is messed up, do you really think it's not, you know, which one do you think is going to get fixed first, the engine or like flat tires? Right. So it's like that, like, that's you have it, to- but, but- Absolutely. Yeah, you're, you're very right. But actually, uh, one point, um, um, which is key here is also that the peak of it evolution is all about propagation of species. So if you think about humanity, evolved out of Africa, say 200,000 years ago, and migrated out of Africa 100,000 years ago. So really, we've been only around very short span of time, when the life on Earth has been around for two, two and a half billion years, right? So what happens is every creature shares skin with us. So so the beauty is it's our only universal organ and all creatures have very similar receptors in skin. So the key thing in this is evolution cares about the species being propagated. So evolution cares about your reproductive peak. And that's one of the reasons why the genes and all these cells don't care about beauty um, uh, or cancers and things like that is when you start losing your beauty uh, or you start developing cancers, typically you're past your reproductive peak, right? So so that's one of the reasons why the genes and stuff, okay, you're starting to get wrinkles. It's like, okay, you're already in your forties, you're past your peak. So they they don't really care about it because there's no advantage at the biological level to reduce your wrinkles. So that's why we have to help. 
No, that makes total sense. Yes, absolutely. And you know, one one thing I really want to uh, actually address here, since you brought up the biological clock, is this um, that this product, both of your products are safe for pregnant women. And I think that's so, so huge here. So I would love for you to tell us about that and why, um, you know, why that's such a big deal. Because, you know, obviously, there's a lot of women, regardless of whether they're pregnant or not, you know, they I, I've seen it in my own practice that they just ignore, you know, like for certain aesthetic procedures. And it's, it confuses me because I'm like, you need to be more careful. I would love for you to talk about that, the, the pregnancy component. Yeah, I think um. So again, when I was developing this in the lab, we're really looking to create healthy skin and healthy body. So as I said earlier, every ingredient, barring a few, um, it's the, the key was the more secretive was the formulation, putting them together. But if you went through the list, it's, you know, there's seaweed, there's planktons, there's, um, you know, the copper, nestry amino acids, hyaluronic acid, niacinamide, so vitamin C, um, so if you look at all these things um, and then you find out that all these things are good for you, even when they're ingested, so you can literally eat them. So effectively, that's one of the reasons why it's safe in pregnancy is because we actually haven't got anything there, which is toxic. Um, yeah. But on the other hand, and, and that should be, in my view, that should be the case with everything. Um, but of course, it often isn't. But certainly, you know, at a when you're injecting something, obviously there's much more systemic changes happening because you're also creating an injury um, to the um, tissues underneath. And of course, then the body has to respond and then the body is sensing a foreign body inside, which is not, not usually there. Or if you're injecting a toxin, it has to respond. So all these other things which we don't have as well. So yeah, so it's absolutely safe, you know, pregnancy, breastfeeding, whenever. Yeah, no, I think that's such a, it, it's such an intriguing point, because I think there's a lot of conversation about, you know, for example, you know, the perfect example is retinol. And we always have this conversation in this industry, also, you know, in the science community about retinol use during pregnancy. But then, you know, retinol, if you think about it again, right, is used for wrinkles. So this is a really, really great option, you know, for people who maybe, you know, if you are pregnant, or if you just don't even like to use retinol. You know what you can, this is a totally different approach to trying to combat the same issue. So I, I actually want to get your um, opinion about that in terms of the retinol and the use of like, just kind of, I guess, outdated therapies in dermatology, because it's something I'm very passionate about too, right? Because I think that a lot of the drugs that have been approved and, you know, whatnot, they're still, they're, they're old school drugs, you know, it's like, it, it's like, for example, I was talking to someone about, um, hyd uh, hydroxyquinone, you know, and um, they were talking about how, you know, it's a, it's made from a tree bark, I was telling them, and it dates to 1600s. And we're still using that in med medicine. So when these kind of new innovations come out, I always wonder why, you know, like, what is it going to take to really pick this up and go with this as the new standard, you know, of treating patients. So I'd love to just get your thoughts on that. I think um, the two parts, I think one of the things with um, retinols are that I guess um, there are the cosmetic retinols which are weaker as you know and then you have the medical grade ones um, which are you know um, 10 times stronger or more yeah. and in fact it's an interesting thing you brought it up because in the lab we could actually because in the petri dish you can experiment with it we actually compared um, the no toxin um, product ingredients against 
the medical grade retinol, not the cosmetic grade one. And we can actually see our effect on wrinkling um, was actually comparable, if not better. So actually I've got a WHO, I mean, one of the WHO registered trials happening later this year, hopefully. Um, and there we're actually going on one arm, we'll use our um, Nortox and on the other arm, we're actually using a prescription grade retinol for people who are using it. But speaking about it, you're totally right. Like, um, I mean, not everything which is ancient is useless because as you know, things like aspirin and all those things came out of natural willow bark. But on the other hand, um, some of the, the approaches to medicines were a lot more toxic, especially when you look at acne, like, like for example, um, acne before, like if you looked at 30, 40 years ago, dermatologists even use radiation treatment for acne. And just, if you think about it, it makes me shudder, think of the harm. So um, in fact, you brought up um, hydroquinone. Um, and what's interesting is um, we can't actually use that topically down under here, which is banned because it increases your risk of hydroxyquinone stuff, all the topicals, which uh, is used for whitening and uh, pigment reduction in the US, right? You can get um, them topically available in the US, but you can't get them in Australia, New Zealand, because they're banned here because they increase the risk of skin cancer. And like I said, we have the highest rate of skin cancer. But in, but in the US, absolutely, at dermatology practices, I see 2%, 4%, 8%, um, <laughs> you can go to treat pigmentation. And yes, you know, so so that is quite dangerous because on one hand, you're actually putting a little more toxic ingredients, which are known to have other side effects and indeed cause harm to your skin, but you're doing it just with the immediate um, effect of you're trying to see some faster acting results. So you're not actually thinking about what else is going on at the cellular level. So actually, that, that's very, very interesting product to raise because we actually can't get it here. But every time I travel to the US to deliver lectures or something, I see how widely it's used. Yeah, it's very widely used. And it's like, you know, there's so many of our listeners that reach out and they say, you know, I, I want to stop using my hydroquinone. And I'm like, you I've been using that first of all, you know, <laughs> like, I don't know why that, you know, dermatologists jump to these therapies, you know, even with something like, for example, you know, off topic, you brought up acne, but um, Accutane, you know, Accutane to me is like such a rudimentary, you know, medication at this point. Like we don't need to be completely eradicating the human immune system and body and, and just, you know, just to treat acne. You know, that's, it does never make sense to me um, how radical our approach is when it comes to like just pharmaceutical therapies for, you know, um, skin conditions. And that's really, you know, even more interesting to me what you've created here, because this is, this is a huge, I think, leap you know, for if in that field, because, you know, one of the biggest things that comes up also for me is dosing. Dosing is something no one talks about. You know, you hear about people saying, well, I got this many units of Botox done. Okay. But there's a limit right there. So I want you to talk to us about that and how this product is actually, you know, it, why it's safer because of that reason, the dosing reason. Yeah. I think, like I said, it really doesn't have anything which is toxic in it, which is going to accumulate in the skin. And because majority of the stuff are really um, things which are broken down by the body um, and cells naturally anyway. So if you look at, like we said, you know, um, proline and lysine and uh, just the trace element, copper, niacinamide, these are all things which are naturally found in 
many of the foods um, we eat as well, am I right? And, and so what it actually happens is it literally just get digested by the skin. And, and because you're not injecting it, you're just giving such a small amount literally getting absorbed, which is literally immeasurable in your um, serum. Um, so what you actually find is um, there is actually no risk in using it as opposed to absolutely, um, you know, with, you mentioned Botox, and I, I, I said, because I don't um, do those treatments. I, I'm not the expert on the yes. levels of dosing, but what I can say is from seeing people come to me with the side effects, you know, of course, other than, you know, little getting paralysis or being injected into wrong places and things, they're also, you know, micro abscesses, there's an increase of um, sort of um, pseudo tuberculosis kind of infections. So, so various other things can happen because of the fact that you're injecting a toxin into your system. So I, I guess going back one step, like I said, this everything I would say, it starts from my fundamental philosophy is if you don't address the underlying health, your own health, you can't un, um, effectively address your skin because it's really just an envelope which drapes you. And it's just going to reflect everything which is going on inside and outside. So, so even when you are using the product, I would say, look, nothing is a miracle thing. So you can, if you're going to be continuing to smoke a lot and continuing to not use sunscreen, spend a lot of time out in the sun, those kind of stuff, then you're still going to um, get wrinkles. You'll still notice some improvement, but it's not going to be as much as if you had a healthy lifestyle. But actually going one step back and you were talking about this dosing and absorption, one of my other areas research here because it's in skin cancer is in absorption of sunscreens and that's why the sunscreens we make here are purely mineral because they're just on the surface what people don't realize is when you use the chemical sunscreens like you know octinoxates and things like that studies done which show four to five days after that it's still found in your urine and breast milk and this and that so people actually don't understand the dangers of more chemicals in sunscreens as well so it's really my philosophy generally is just do no harm, try and create good health, both from lifestyle as well as topicals. I love that. I think that's such a great point. And especially in the world that we're living in, where now everyone is kind of, I think, you know, as clinicians and as researchers, we're trying to shift more towards this preventative approach to medicine, which I really, really am glad, you know, to see. And I think, you know, this is something that's very important, especially for skin health is this preventative idea, you know, and I would love for you to discuss that, um, you know, with our listeners, because I, I think when it comes to skincare, there's a lot of people, you know, I feel like there's two groups of people. There's people who just want to maintain their skin and they want it to stay, you know, as healthy as possible for a long time. And then there are people who want a quick fix. And I think that um, the idea of prevention is not discussed enough. So I would love for you to comment on that and, and talk about the importance of um, approaching it in, from this preventative perspective. That's right. So uh, effectively, because like I said, no toxic ingredients are good for you and you can use it both as prevention as treatment. But if you're using it um, before, like um, you have any wrinkles, obviously um, your wrinkles depth reduces as they develop so they don't become as evident and if you're using it once you've got wrinkles it will reduce the wrinkle depth but but I guess at one step back um, I've written in some of my books that so when I um, did medicine I also did medical law and 
philosophy and things so I'm full of useless information. And one of the things I said is what struck me was medicine like law was a guild. And I've often said, um, see, law is not justice, just like medicine is in health. Right. So it's um, so because it's if you think about it, like lots of times something obvious would have happened, but somebody gets away on a technicality and you will think that's not justice. This guy should have gone to jail, whatever. Similarly, in medicine, you know, medicine as a sets of drugs and things to treat things. It's like the ambulance at the bottom of a cliff. But to have health, you have to take personal responsibility. So, so my message here is, you know, other than the fact that one is, you know, you can't have bad health and good skin. And the second one is, you know, that's the philosophy behind the products and the ingredients which go into it. So you can be confident that you can use it anytime and be safe. But thirdly, um, it's the most important thing in all this is personal responsibility. So if you don't take responsibility for your own health, then none of the other things, including the genes and proteins and other things in your body, they don't actually care. You eat bad stuff, they're going to give you bad stuff, right? So you will face the consequences. So ultimately, we have to take action and be a bit proactive. Absolutely. I think that's, you know, very well said. And I, I completely agree with you, you know, especially now, you know, as a scientist, I, I've tried to explain this to people and they look at me like I'm crazy, but I'm like, you know, we live in a world where we know what epigenetics is, you know, and for everyone listening, you know, epigenetics is basically like the modification of your genes based on the environment of your body, you know, your internal milieu. And it's caused by so many things like Dr. Shroud has said here, the way you live, the way you eat, the way you sleep, you know, all of these things contribute to epigenetic changes and modifications. And so knowing that as scientists and knowing that as, um, you know, anyone really, yeah, even as a consumer, we should be approaching our health in this like holistic fashion where we're looking at everything. You know, what am I eating? Where, am, how long am I sleeping? You know, all these things. So I think, you know, that's, that's definitely a message that I, I, I think definitely resonates with me also, what you said. Um, so I want to just talk a little bit more about the docu-series that you're um, actually, uh, you know, about to come out with. Uh, if you can share more with us, uh, do, do we know where it's going to be aired or haven't decided? Um, it's like, it was, it's planned both as a theatrical kind of release as well as a streaming. Um, uh, at the moment, I'm not uh, supposed to say where it's going to be aired, so I won't say that. But fundamentally, it covers a lot of things we discussed, including things like which we don't think about. So, so for example, is with climate change and, um, for example, what's happening to us. Can so, if you take a step back and you looked at, say, the U.S. and what happened in in the nineteen seventies, there was this massive um, rise in skin cancer, and then. Um, after the um, CFCs were banned um, in the aerosols um, and the ozone hole started getting smaller, um, we can actually see that it plateaued. So that was the first time we could actually see that something we did to the environment actually helped skin health. But what I can see now is having the largest series of skin cancer patients anywhere that we can actually see the incidence rising. And there are plenty of more models which show that as our climate gets warmer everywhere what we'll find is that increase in incidence of skin cancers also things like diseases which were parasitic on skin which we didn't think 
um, would be in certain areas. So if you think about Lyme disease or even Zika or things like that, one of the reasons it's a lot more widespread and not just confined to like in the case of Zika to Uganda or in the case of Lyme to certain states in the US is simply because climate has changed. So these things can live in many um, different parts. And, and I guess that takes us back as biological beings. And one of the other things which fascinated me, this evolutionary biology part of it is, see, we all have mites. And see, if you think about a human body, we're about 43% exclusively human genes, right? Everything else we share, share with other animals and plants and viruses, bacteria, and all that kind of stuff. So in other words, we're only 43% exclusively human. So what I found really fascinating is if you look at these mites, which, as you know, uh, which cause acne and various things on skin, these mites not only live in us, but they're actually, they are us. They're actually part of us. And this is the freaky part of it. So, so we studied people and how would you can prove that people came out of Africa as also if for human beings is doesn't matter if somebody's lived in America for generations or uh, centuries. So what happens is if you look at African people and you did the DNA analysis of the mites, yeah. African-Americans, for example, they had the mites for Africa. And if you take it, Europeans, even if they have white lights can live in Europe, they had the mites for Africa and Europe. And if you take it, Asians, they had the mites <laughs> for Africa, Europe, and Asia. So how crazy is that? So, so those are the kind of things in addition to things with diet and beauty stuff and everything else we'll cover. But it's, it's a thing about, you know, climate evolution, biology, all the things you don't think about. But this might thing really fascinated me because literally, right, so you can tell where people came from by looking at the mites which live in their skin. And these are the same mites which come up to the surface when you have a breakout, be it because of, you know, rosacea or acne or something like that. So anyway, that's... Uh, there are many well, other things, like, yeah, but, but in, you know, that's a kind of gist. It's a big picture kind of thing of looks at everything about and why skin being our only universal organ we share with all creatures, how it actually shapes our humanity. Obviously, we cover topics like, you know, the myth of race and how human beings are all the same, but we are so divided and we can't see the entire weight of melanin in our bodies is so tiny as 1.4 grams or something like that. So it's like, nothing but it divides us so much right yeah yeah we've had uh so many wars because of one point you say 1.5 grams yes yeah, 1.4 grams that's right so so there's lots of stuff like that um but it's also how did we all end up like what we are because it's purely the story of diet and migration i mean if you listen to my talk on it you'd see i mean it's just purely people migrated ate different foods and then it fundamentally was a battle between the folic acid in your system and the vitamin D and all our skin colors became what they were. So you can predict things like track and field medals at Olympics. You can take various things just looking at this evolutionary biology aspect of skin. And it's fascinating. That's really cool. That's really cool. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the TED Talk because it's really, really good. And everyone listening... I'm definitely going to be linking that as well. And as well as a lot of the books that Dr. Strad has brought up here. I mean, you know, I, this is just, it's amazing stuff what you're doing, Dr. Strad. I'm just so honored to have this conversation with you and, and to be able to learn from you. I mean, I think this is definitely the new frontier for 
you know, skin health, what you're doing. And I just, you know, I can't wait to see what you come up with next. Um, for everyone listening, there are two products currently in the line um, that we talked about here. One of them is the neck and face smoothing elixir and the other one is the eye smoothing elixir. And so I would really urge you guys, you know, get, go check the both products out and really give it a go. This is cutting edge science, you guys, like breakthrough stuff. So, you know, Dr. Sherrod, thank you so much for coming onto the show and educating us. Um, I would love to have you back anytime that you have the time for it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. And, you know, you have such a, in a medical science kind of a background as well. So in fact, I think you did some of the explanations better than <laughs> I did. So thank you. No, no. Thank you so much. And uh, everyone listening, please make sure you give us a rating. If you have any comments, questions for Dr. Shrud's team, definitely leave them in the comments section for the concept art and we will pass them along. But yeah, um, I will be back next time. Thank you so much. Thank you.